This is Marcia Stonehill with Melty Ice. Today on Operation Flow, I have the privilege of having a panel of nurses. Let me tell you who I have with me today. First, I will introduce you to Dr. Ernest Grant. Dr. Grant holds a Bachelor of Science in Nursing degree from North Carolina Central University and a Master's of Science in Nursing and PhD degrees, PhD degrees from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. He is the current president of the American Nurses Association and the first male to serve in that role in the 125-year history of the American Nurses Association. He was inducted as a fellow into the American Academy of Nursing in 2014. A distinguished leader, Dr. Ernest Grant has more than 30 years of nursing experience and is internationally recognized burn care and fire safety expert. He previously served as the burn outreach coordinator for the North Carolina J.C. Burn Center at University of North Carolina Hospitals in Chapel Hill. He currently serves as adjunct faculty for the UNC Chapel Hill School of Nursing, where he works with undergraduate and graduate nursing students in the classroom and clinical settings. Dr. Grant is frequently sought out for his expertise as a clinician and educator. In addition to being a prolific speaker, he has conducted numerous burn education courses with various branches of the U.S. military in preparation for troops deployment to Iraq and Afghanistan. In 2002, President George W. Bush presented Dr. Grant with a Nurse of the Year Award for his work treating burn victims from the World Trade Center site. In 2013, Dr. Grant received the B.T. Fowler Lifetime Achievement Award from the North Carolina Fire and Life Safety Education Council for making a difference in preventing the devastating effects of fire and burn injuries and deaths within the state. Next, let me introduce you to Dr. Bimbola Akintati. Dr. Bimbola Akintati earned his bachelor's, master's, and PhD degrees at the University of Maryland School of Nursing. <clears throat> In addition, he earned a master's of business association, uh, administration, excuse me, and a master's of health administration from the University of Maryland University College. He is an associate professor and associate dean for the master's specialties at the University of Maryland School of Nursing. Dr. Akintati is a fellow of the American Association of Nurse Practitioners and currently practices as an acute care nurse practitioner in the post-anesthesia care unit at the University of Maryland Medical Center and the trauma surgical intensive care unit at the University of Maryland Capital Region Medical Center. He is a commissioner serving with the Maryland Healthcare Commission and a pioneer board member, research committee chair, and finance committee member of the Doctors of Nursing Practice of Color. He was the founding faculty member for the Maryland chapter of the American Association of Men in Nursing and served in this role of over six years. Most recently, he completed the inaugural, inaugural Diversity Leadership Institute cohort through the American Association of Colleges of Nursing. He serves on various editorial boards, has authored several peer-reviewed articles and book chapters, and is often an invited guest speaker. Next, let me tell you about our third panelist, Dr. Vivine Pierce-McDaniel. 
She earned her Doctor of Nursing Practice degree from Walden University, her Master's and Bachelor's degrees from American Sentinel University, and her Associate in Applied Science degree from Thomas Nelson Community College. She is an assistant professor and mentor to a Doctor of Nursing Practice students at Aspen University School of Nursing and a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant and ambassador for James Madison University. Dr. McDaniel currently serves as the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Chair for the Virginia Nurses Association and the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Ambassador for the Virginia Nurses Foundation, where she serves on the Board of Trustees. She recently completed the inaugural Diversity Leadership Institute cohort through the American Association of Colleges of Nursing and is an active member of the American Association of Colleges of Nursing Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion group. Dr. McDaniel is a member of the Virginia State University Bachelors of Science in Nursing Advisory Committee, a member of the Doctors of Nursing Practice of Color Anti-Racism Committee. Let me say that again. She is a member of the Doctors of Nursing Practice of Color Anti-Racism Committee and is the Vice President of the Central Virginia Chapter of the National Black Nurses Association. She is also the author of several articles on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Panelists, Dr. McDaniel, Dr. Grant, Dr. Akintati, thank you so much for being with us on Operation Flow today. Please let our listeners know why you've agreed to join us here. Well, I will let Dr. Grant go first. And by the way, please call me Devine. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to be with you today. I'm extremely uh, excited and delighted uh, to uh, be here. I think we have a, a lot to talk about, not only um, about the nursing profession, but uh, the combination of nurses and social justice uh, as we move towards a uh, a new era in this um, soon to be and hopefully post COVID era that we are currently in. So uh, let's just say that we're here at the uh, the forefront and please feel free to call me uh, either Ernest or Ernie. So uh, okay. thanks. And um, I, I feel exactly the same way as um, Ernest has mentioned. Also, please feel free to call me Ben. Uh, every opportunity to, to speak about uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice is an opportunity to help uh, everyone understand, you know, I guess the, the importance. And, you know, also just I'm, I'm really excited, you know, to, to be a part of this uh, new uh, realization that we have. You know, I mean, uh, uh, we're, we're, we're going from cultural sensitivity now to cultural humility. You know, and we recognize that this is not only uh, a minority group of people's problems, but this is something that affects the entire nation to a certain extent as we experienced over the last year, the world as a whole. Mm -hmm. You know, so thanks for the opportunity. Happy to be here. I am too excited. First of <clears throat> all, Asha, you know, in um, other podcasts, my cousin Michael, um, uh, the son of, of, Reverend Curtis Harris, who, who marched with Martin Luther King and John Lewis, told the story about bringing Martin Luther King to their home and that my, my, his wife, his wife was so excited that she didn't give him the drink of water that he wanted when he got <laughs> off of the train from the long ride from Georgia to Virginia. Well, that's how I feel right now with these two great men 
in nursing, I am so excited because one of my um, initiatives has to do with in increasing the number of males in nursing. So I'm so excited that I forgot to tell you what um, my purpose here is. Uh, of course, it's always about um, dismantling racism and um, improving social injustices. So I will um, turn it over to you and see if there's anything that you want to ask these esteemed gentlemen. Well, thank you again, uh, everyone, for being with us. And I'm really eager to have um, the uncomfortable conversations that we need to have, especially, you know, starting within our nursing field. I would like to believe that those of us who are nurses can be the leading examples of how to have the conversations that most people run, run from or avoid or get extremely defensive. And um, <clears throat> as a white woman who, you know, has, um, you know, went into the nursing profession and thought that I understood a lot, you know, it's been really eye-opening, to say the least, to realize how much I did not have proper cultural humility and how in the last few years, or I guess since around 2012, with a lot of extensive research, I realized um, what, it, what is really meant by, say, white privilege. You know, what is really meant, there's just, it's, it's what we need to come to understand. And the more I, uh, realized within myself that what I did not understand uh, it was jaw dropping and um, but I believe in our profession and I'm very grateful today to have the uncomfortable conversation with you to help set the example of how to have this conversation so as men in nursing and as men of color in nursing, I can't imagine what you've experienced and what you would want people to understand and how you are inviting us to grow. Would you like to speak into that at all? Um, ben, would you like to go first or? No, please go ahead. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, well, you know, there's a, uh, you know, as you were speaking, uh, Marsha, what uh, there's a, a black spiritual that came to mind with your last question. And it, it's, you know, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it takes on um, a, a new meaning when you look at it from that perspective, because obviously I can talk about my experiences, but my experiences will probably, uh, I'm sure, will be vastly different from those of Bim or any other um, you know, uh, male of color who has chosen the nursing profession. Um, uh, and part of it, too, is, uh, you know, having to remember uh, or, or look back and reflect back on where I came from, you know, a little small town in the mountains of North Carolina, very rural. Uh, the time that I received my basic nursing education and, uh, you know, to where we are now. Um, I, you know, definitely will say that 
um, obviously to uh, and your your audience may not be able to, to you know to recognize this, but I'm I'm six foot six, so I realize that I'm a very imposing individual. Um, you know, and of course, being dark skinned you have. Uh, immediately, sometimes when you're uh, walking down the hall or, or, or whatever, people immediately begin to have this instant stereotype uh, that, A, you're, you're going to be hateful or, or hurt them when actually I'm just as gentle as a, as a teddy bear. You just have to get to know me. The other is, um, you know, being uh, perhaps relied upon to be back then when I went into nursing, they were just beginning to phase out the term orderly. You know, uh, now we have certified nursing assistants, but back then we had uh, men who usually probably served in the military, um, you know, as medics. And once they retired or got out, they, you know, sought jobs uh, serving as orderly. And they were used to help lift patients or, or uh, you know, put in catheters and things of this sort. So one of the things that um, I had to do was to ensure to my uh, female counterparts that I received the same education that you did. I am just as qualified as you, so I don't mind helping you to lift this person out of a chair. This is before we had lift equipment and everything else. But, but uh, you know, one of the things I would tell them is, what would you do if I wasn't here today? You know, how would you get this person into the chair? Uh, you know, so it's a way to get them to think otherwise that, um, you know, that I'm not just there to be your, you know, your orderly, if you will, um, or if you had a, a dis, um, disruptive patient, you know, you're going to come and get me and send me into the room thinking that, you know, that's going to uh, calm the situation down or, or, or whatever, um, you know, to, to, you know, to think otherwise and to, uh, you know, get them to think that, um, you know, I graduated from the same program that you did, uh, or, you know, an equivalent. Uh, the fact that I passed the, you know, the national state board exam proves that I'm qualified to be here. So I shouldn't have to justify that I have RN after my name. It didn't matter which, you know, which school of nursing that you graduated from. Uh, the fact is, is can you, you know, can you pull your weight? And in more, more, um, situations than uh, than many i more than pulled my way to it, you know in actuality i pretty much saved a lot of them but that's a whole nother story but uh, you know that's just some examples of what uh, i personally have uh, encountered and devised ways to politely tell my colleagues that you know i'm on an equal footing with you um you know let's go through this together not just you know, you directing me to do this or that or whatever, but we are colleagues, which means that we're supposed to be collegial and, uh, you know, and face things together, not uh, because you happen to, uh, you know, be white or, or female, uh, that you have a superior step over me. Uh, it's, you know, I definitely um, was insistent on having my voice heard. I really appreciate that you said that. And I just want to speak into, uh, you know, any white female that's listening to us right now, you know, just to take a deep breath, put your defenses down and really think about what's being said, because these are the implicit biases that we're talking about. These are the things that we're doing that we don't even realize that we're doing. And if we don't have these conversations and allow these things to be brought to our attention, the necessary social justice changes that we are all wanting, you know, will not be able to happen. Yes. So, <clears throat> Before Bim, uh, you know, takes up on that answer, if I could, uh, you know, uh, make a couple of comments as well. I'm sure that probably every person of color 
uh, right after George Floyd's death, probably got the phone calls from their white friends saying, uh, you know, I didn't realize this, or how can I help, or I'm not that way, or, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, and I hope that they were very truthful, you know, with their, you know, uh, with their, their white friends by saying, you know, we've been telling you this all along, so now you get to experience it, but now let's do something about it. Um, you know, and so um, we're not asking for you to go on a guilt trip. What we're asking is that you fully open up and listen and actively listen. That's the that's the key word there is to actively listen to what your you know your uh, black and brown friends are telling you. Uh, and then if you don't still quite get it, repeat it back to them and say, this is what I'm hearing you say. And if they need to break it down a little bit uh, further, then, you know, we're happy to, uh, you know, to do that. But uh, I, I truly think that, um, you know, this is, a, this is our time to move forward as a society and to change, um, the, you know, the, the way things are. And we'll talk a little bit more about that perhaps with, uh, with what is going on at a and and the Commission to Address Racism. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I didn't want to take too much from uh, Bim's opportunity to speak. So please. Before you speak, Bim, I'm so glad that you said that, um, Ernest, because as you were talking, that's exactly what I was thinking. So I'm glad that you um, came back and and, um, said that. And I would like to emphasize in that regard, you know, to just to build on what you said, that what I have observed and probably did myself if I were to be completely honest with myself, just because it's that implicit bias. It's, you know, you listen, but then you impose your own perspective and your own understanding without even being conscious that that's what you're doing. So it's more than listening. It's really, um, really absorbing what's being said and incorporating it and, and helping to make these things happen based on the perspective that's being shared with you, not from your own cultural perspective, if I may emphasize that. Yeah, that's that's very helpful, you know, and um, just, you know, listening to, to Ernest, I'm sub six foot, so, you know, I'm, I'm not as, <laughs> as tall or physically imposing as, as you are, you know, but um, my my story and my experiences, just like you you mentioned earlier, are, are quite unique. Um, you know, I was born to Nigerian parents, and if you've ever heard those uh, cliches, they're true. Uh, growing up, you only could either be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer, and nothing else sort of mattered. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I, I grew up, I mean, I've, I've shared this, because uh, now, you know, I'm I'm at the point where, you know, my, my life story should be, or I'm, I'm willing to use aspects of it as hopefully an inspiration for others. Uh, I had the worst SAT scores in my high school. So, you know, expecting me to be a doctor was like a, a stretch, but, you know, I, I was willing to go with it to please my parents. And um, with no mentorship, I, I came up with this plan to go through nursing school become a nurse and then find my way to medical school. And I'm sure many nurses have sort of this story or, or similar, but you know, that was my story. 
So I, I backed my way into nursing. It, it was uh, never a passion. I never had any family members who were nurses. And, um, you know, now that I've, I've been a nurse for over 20 years, looking back, that was the single most important professional decision I ever made. Um, it's, it's put me in a position, you know, now to, you know, sort of look back on some of the experiences I had along the way. You know, so just like Ernest, um, I was the, most of the time I was the only male. Uh, I, I worked in an ICU, and that's another conversation for another day. But, you know, many minorities sort of don't work in the ICU. I mean, if, if we're going by statistics, which I'm a very big fan of data, um, you know, so most of the time I was either the only male or the only minority person there. And every code I was on the chest doing CPR and just I was the person who you would reach out to the move patients. And my, my reaction was a little different than Dr. Grant's because for me it was like, you know, I'm going to medical school. So this just really doesn't matter, you know. And <laughs> yeah, you know, just a, a really interesting and maybe somewhat immature uh, perspective at the time of just not being able to take in the moment. Um, you know, the, the further I um, uh, advanced in, in academia, the, the more grounded, you know, I sort of became and was able to really take in my surroundings. Um, uh, we had a new dean at University of Maryland, and she and I went out to lunch, and she said, tell, you know, tell me about yourself and about your tenure in Maryland. And I said, you know, I, um, I came here for my bachelor's, and I hated it. And I came back for my master's, and I hated it. And I came back for my PhD, and I really hated it. And she was like, Really? And um, she asked why, and that's the first time anyone had asked why. And I was, most of the time, the only person of color in each of those classes, and probably the only male. So it's, it's been a, a really interesting journey. So, you know, when we talk about racism, we talk about sexism, we, for, for many of us, it's complete. Like, there's so much going on. Now I'm a little older and I could put some of those things in perspective. And now I sort of have a better understanding of why certain things happened. At the time, I, I just t I took everything in stride. You know, I applied for some. I didn't get it. It was okay. You know, now I'd go back to my CV and, and stare at it and wonder what happened. You know, and, and so you talked about implicit bias, you know, I mean, they're they're just different levels you know and i think for us as uh african-american men in nursing um you know there's there's the the society's sort of impression of what the nurse should be you know uh i i remember going through my annual um competencies recently and you know and we talked about implicit bias and there was a very interesting chapter in there that just assumes that the nurse, a nurse, is a Caucasian female. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the expectation, not a six, six African-American male. And, and you know, so um, a lot of us have kind of gone through many of that. And so for me, uh, I've really gone out of my way to bolster everything I've ever done. I mean, we joked about my credentials earlier. But sometimes, it just for me, maybe that's sort of my own implicit defense mechanism to ensure that, you know, I'm properly represented, you know, and even if you don't meet me, first you see my name and it's African and that brings on its own, you know, set of preconceived notions. 
you know, and sets of biases in, in terms of expectations ever before you get to meet me. And just like Dr. Grant, you know, I, I think I'm also a, a reasonable, you know, and uh, easygoing person, you know, so, um, yeah, just, uh, it's, 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 it's been interesting and every opportunity I get, I, I try as much as possible to encourage others to consider nursing and try to, as Vivian said earlier, dismantle, you know, just um, some of those uh, preconceived notions, even though a lot of them are perception, but a lot of them are also true. Bim, you, uh, if I may inject, it sounds like to me that your conversation with the dean, it was someone who was very forward thinking. And uh, because I'm sure that she took the words that you told her and made some changes. Uh, you know, one of which I guess probably was to hire you on, on, on faculty. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I have done when I have met with uh, deans and directors of nursing programs around the country, um, you know, I have told them, you know, do this little experiment the next time you, you know, you have to be thinking about it, this conversation that we're having. When you're pulling into your, your parking lot or your parking spot at your school of nursing, when you get out of your car, change your gender, change your color, you know, and you know, in your mind, walk into your school of nursing and view your school of nursing from the perspective of the person or the gender that you, uh, you know, that, that you took on. So in other words, <clears throat> if I'm a white female, well, maybe I'm going to view it from the perspective of a black male walking into my school of nursing. When I look on the walls, what do I see? You're probably going to see a line of, you know, white women who were deans or or uh, associate deans or, or whatever. When I look at the faculty, what do I see? Uh, probably, you know, if it is someone who looks like me, i.e. the black person that I am, uh, you know, pretending to be at this moment, are they um, a full professor? Or are they just, do they just have the title of instructor or lecturer or maybe an assistant professor? What things do I have in place that would, um, you know, would help that individual? And I'm not saying, um, you know, giving them, um, you know, answers to the test or anything like that. But what I'm saying is, if you knew that this person came from a, uh, a fairly poor background and they're struggling, um, you know, a lot of your classes may be online or whatever, but they live in a rural part of the community where they may not have Wi-Fi. So they found that they either have to drive to a local McDonald's or, or supermarket parking lot to sit out there to, you know, in order to get Wi-Fi access or drive on into town to a library in order to, uh, to do that. Uh, why can't we give them like a hotspot or something that would, uh, you know, that would allow them to stay at home in the comfort of their home and learn, uh, you know, that way instead of, you know, sitting in the car and running the risk of someone coming up and, you know, doing whatever or, or reporting them because there's a black male sitting in a car. You know, I don't, uh, you know, uh, I don't know why he's been sitting there for like 20 minutes or so. He hasn't gotten out and gone, you know, you see how all this begins to snowball. So, you know, just doing little simple things like that can really sort of help to level the playing field and, uh, and make it more equitable. Uh, you know, but they probably have never thought about it from that perspective. Uh, you know, or, or ask yourself, why do minorities not want to come here? Are we not actively recruiting them? 
Uh, you know, do we go out and, um, and say to the local hospital, um, you know, hey, let's start a program that, you know, we know that a, a lot of uh, people who are nursing assistants tend to be individuals of color. So why can't we start sort of a bridge program and help them, give them the resources that they need so that, again, they could either go to the local community college or if it's a, a bachelor's program, you know, uh, you know, help them with resources that way as well, because it's going to be beneficial all the way around. You know, it's going to benefit the hospital. It's going to benefit the school of nursing as well. Uh, you know, but that's just something that just came to my mind that uh, we need to get deans who are, um, you know, willing to, to step out and to be, you know, to, to really be leaders in uh, embracing, uh, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and not just think of it as putting a check that, oh, yeah, we have three black faculty members, so, you know, and maybe a couple of Asian faculty members, so, hey, our DEI is done. Uh, you know, that's not DEI at all. <laughs> you know, you really need to, you know, um, yeah, if, if that's what you think it is, then uh, we got a long, long conversation <laughs> we need to have. What you were, what you were mentioning, um, you're talking about social determinants of education, mm -hmm. actually. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, um, we leave that out a lot when we're discussing the social determinants of health, but uh, those are things that um, are barriers to students are barriers to people even becoming a student, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, thank you so much for addressing that. Masha, I think you were about to say something. Well, I was just going to, uh, I, I kind of lost it, but um, I think what I was just going to build on is where Dr. Grant was saying, I think what you're asking us to do is not make an assumption that the position a person is in it's the position that they need to stay in, that we need to create pathways <clears throat> that helps people to uh, promote themselves or to get promoted and to, to make progress. We need to encourage people that if they want more, here's how to accomplish more. Mm -hmm. you know, Absolutely. Here's, you know, here's it's, the pathway. It's actually, it's actually a little more than that, okay. you know. Um, it's one thing to encourage someone to do something they've never done or they've never seen any, they've just never seen done. It's another thing to look up and see Dr. Grant and realize he's the first African-American president of the ANA in the 125th history of that organization and say, you know what, I want to be the president of, of ANA. He's done it, you know, and so when you when you distill that down into something like academia, you know, and, and you look at a lot of universities, you know, um, not even at the dean level, but you go down to the associate dean or chair levels, um, you know, what I what I learned, um, you know, in, in, in discussion, because these are all anecdotal, right, you know, is that, you know, when there's a position to fill, we just typically call the people we know. Mm -hmm. You know, and if, if mostly these positions are filled by Caucasian women, mm -hmm. that's who they reach out to. And it, it creates this revolving door, mm -hmm. you know, and um, not only that, you know, look at universities, you know, look at tenure faculty, associate professors and full professors. Same deal, you know, and maybe not for the same reasons. But when you talk to a minority 
uh, faculty member and say, you know, I think you should go for promotion. They look up and say, there's no one like me up there. You know, so I mean, and, and I am by no means advocating to, um, uh, you know, water down the process. But, you know, like Dr. Grant said, we have to be very intentional about supporting, you know, this, the, this group of faculty members. It's, it's not the same. Using myself as an example, until I actively sought mentorship, I, I went on a 15-year trail to med school. And I, I turned around and I had accomplished all these things in nursing that I didn't realize I'd accomplished until I, I found mentorship. And someone said, listen, you know, this is what you've done and this is a fantastic pathway, you know, to your future career. Like you're almost there. These are some of the experiences I have and these are some of the things I think you can do. And from there, you know, so I, I, I sort of had a better understanding of where I was and now I could create realistic goals, you know, based on the foundations I created. Many minority faculty members spend their entire careers mm-hmm. in the same position. And, you know, they, they derive some satisfaction from teaching and educating the future of nursing without growth. Mm-hmm. Emma, I, I need to make a quick correction for you uh, regarding I'm the third african-american to serve as president right. but the first african-american male yeah, uh, yeah and, and uh, i realized that i i stand on the shoulders of, of giants you know those who came before me to blaze the trail you know were it not for people like uh, you know dr barbara nichols who was the first african-american um you know president uh of ana and then dr beverly malone as well and i still you know rely on them you know as you know to, to use your example uh you know i they are mentors uh we have uh you know a, a three-way conference call sometimes you know like almost uh, every three months or so because they are checking in on me and making sure they want me to succeed and um, and i in turn too want to i, I recognize the importance of reaching back and helping those who are coming behind in any way that I can to be a mentor to them, uh, you know, and, and help them as best as I can. Um, and just to also add to the to the conversation, I didn't mean to to imply that you know not everyone is cut out to be a nurse. Uh, just like not everybody's cut out to be um, you know a, a physician or a firefighter or or minister or you know what have you, but. Um, you know, my mentioning about the, you know, being able to, to help the nursing assistants or whatever, those who feel and are energized, uh, you know, at least give them the chance, give them the opportunity, um, you know, and it shouldn't be that uh, they want everything handed on a silver platter because, you know, they're going to be in for a big surprise <laughs> if they think that. Uh, you know, because the onus is on them. Yes, we have the, uh, you know, the obligation to try to make the road a little bit easier for them, i.e. like a scholarship or yeah. uh, maybe some mentoring or tutoring or, you know, something like that. Uh, but if they don't seem to be interested or, or whatever, then, you know, at some point you also perhaps need to cut your loss and say, okay, next then, if this person, if they're not showing up on time, if they're not doing the assignments that you have asked them to do, or if they're not... Uh, following up with, uh, you know, with what you have suggested, um, you know, I would investigate and figure out why, but if it, you know, if it all indicates to me that, you know, this person 
you know, just thinks that, you know, it's going to be handed to them on a silver tray or because I write a letter of reference for them and, you know, and it's on ANA letterhead or whatever, that that's going to get them, you know, where they need to be. They are totally wrong, you know, because I have a serious conversation with them about that, that, uh, you know, because that's my reputation that's out there as well. And uh, so I'm not going to just write a, a letter of reference just because we're friends. You've got to prove to me that, uh, uh, you know, that, uh, that my sticking my reputation out there to say this person is a, uh, you know, I think it'd be a good qualified candidate. Um, you know, I'm happy to do that, but you, you got to earn it. Yeah. Well, I, speaking of, of males in nursing, men in nursing, um, I wanted to just ask you your opinion about something because um, we are, Nurses are the most trusted profession uh, for several years now, right? Mm -hmm. And um, something that I've noticed is that we are very rarely called on by the media or by other organizations or associations um, to speak on behalf of anything that has to do with uh, health care, uh, you know, I see it every now and then, but not as much as I would like to see it. And um, I'm wondering if you think that nurses would be more included if this, if we were not a predominantly female um, profession, if we were a predominantly male profession, do you think that um, we would be sought after more or if it has anything to do with that at all? Um, w without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. <laughs> no, my, I fully understand where you're coming from. Part of that is, uh, okay, we, we have the, uh, still have the, the, the good old boys network. Uh, you know, and uh, you still have a male-dominated society uh, who um, uh, tends to look back and when they think of nursing, you know, they do have that one stereotype that it is, you know, um, you know, it, it is female, and who wants to listen to a female? I mean, and I'm not saying that to sound uh, uh, as an insult, but um, it's because of the the uh, stereotype, if you will, that has been laid down in the past that we are, as nurses, we're always subservient to the physician, that we didn't know, uh, or we just did what the doctor ordered or whatever. But I guarantee you, every physician practicing out there or, or physician's assistant practicing out there, will, if they wanted to truthfully admit it, a nurse somewhere along the way, at least once, saved their behind. <laughs> I was going to say something else. But <laughs> Uh, and sometimes more than more than once, okay? Because I, I know uh, when I was um, you know was at the bedside and being at an academic hospital, we'd get new residents in um, every three months. We get new, excuse me, yeah, yeah, new residents every three months, new interns every six uh, every six weeks that would rotate through the burn center. And uh, there were those who 
would um, you know would listen to what you would say because you've been there, you know the patients, you knew what the attendings wanted and everything, and then there were those who thought that they just you know they knew what they uh, you know and I'm not going to listen to you. So after a while, we would just say, okay, we'll just let you hang yourself, and sure enough, that's what they would do, and then they'd come back with their tail between the legs. We've got to realize that we have to work together. You know, it's called a healthcare team, um, and nurses need to find their voice to speak up and to say to reporters and, um, you know, uh, Arthurs and, you know, things like this that, hey, we have a voice too. You know, we have an opinion as well. Why not ask us? Um, you know, we're just as knowledgeable as, you know, that uh, physician may be or, 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 you know, someone else that you have, uh, have sought out because we're actually right there in the midst of it, you know, right. if you will. So unless it's playing in... Um, you know, to the heartstrings, which is when, uh, you know, they, you see them, uh, you know, perhaps wanting to either interview a nurse or show a picture of a nurse. It's somebody who, you know, like recently during the, uh, the, the pandemic, it was, um, you know, nurses who are, you know, donning the gowns and gloves and stuff and going into the room, holding the patient's hands. And that's wonderful. That's what we do. That's who we are. But, you know, but they fail to look at the other side to say, hey, there are nurses who are out there, you know, in the, the, the streets as well, you know, taking, uh, you know, vaccine shots to people who, uh, you know, who, who don't have access or nurses who are up on Capitol Hill. Uh, you know, having discussions with members of Congress about the need to get the resources that we need to, uh, uh, you know, to provide the care to uh, people who have been stricken with COVID. Instead, what you got were, you know, uh, them interviewing, uh, you know, perhaps someone from the AMA or the American Hospital Association. And I will admit, I, you know, I got a, quite a few of those interviews. And I will say that COVID uh, allowed our, or, our three organizations, uh, I wouldn't say that we were rivals, but I think we're much closer now that we have worked together because we realize that we're all in this together, and each of us brings a unique, um, you know, point to uh, you know to uh, to this pandemic, and it's only through working together that we're going to be able to uh, achieve the end, which is to you know drive down this uh, you know this pandemic. Whereas before, it probably would never have happened that you would have seen. The American Medical Association, the American Nurses Association, and the American Hospital Association, you know, working as closely as we have. Now, I mean, we've done that in, in the past, but, uh, you know, but in this case, you know, to do, uh, you know, video spots together, to appear on, um, you know, various uh, uh, committees or, or uh, you know, various, various talk shows, uh, that probably would, would not have happened, you know, uh, prior to COVID. Wow. And, you know, um, Dr. Grant, I, I really appreciate your um, response. You know, my 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 perspective aligns with yours, but it, it, it also then comes from a, a, a slightly different vantage point. You know, um, you ask a very good question, and it's, it's unfortunate that in 2021 we still should be asking these questions. Mm -hmm. But if you look statistically, um, for the same position, same organizations, men make more money than women. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in our DLI, I don't know if you remember Vivian, mm -hmm. there was this um, example one of our facilitators used about engineering. It's not only in nursing, in, in engineering, yeah. um, a female engineer versus male engineer, the financial disparity um, is significant and, and also sort of the, the opportunity to sort of lead a part. You know, so it, it's, 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 it's part of unfortunately, of, of our society. And um, 
as it pertains to nursing, uh, if if there were more men in nursing, would it make a difference? I think it would, and um, it, it would for a few different reasons. Um, uh, I used to be the program director for the adult juror acute care and the, uh, the DNP program at University of Maryland. And I would teach um, in the final semester, and I would coach my, you know, my graduating students through putting their CV together and what to do during an interview and if they got an offer. And I told every one of them, I said, to refuse the first offer they got. <gasps> refuse the first offer. I mean, you know, nurses are altruistic, right? Like, I mean, we want to help. We don't want to seem like we're doing this for the money. And, well, guess what? I, I teach healthcare finance. And healthcare is a business. I say mm -hmm. that people cringe, they don't like it, but healthcare is a business. Absolutely. And and so, you know, um, nurses run short of something. You know what we do? We figure it out. Mm -hmm. Our physician counterparts run short of something. They report it to administration and they will hold serve. Administration has to figure something out. I think, you know, having nurses come to the table is just not good enough. I think having prepared nurses come to the table makes a difference. Um, whenever I teach healthcare finance, it's just having nurses understand healthcare finance, healthcare economics. Um, you know, nurses what represent over fifty percent of the workforce in, in any healthcare institution. Period. You know, I think you know having more men would help to a certain extent. You know, but just when having nurses within our own group, one better prepared to speak on matters that people want, you know, that, that would bring us to the table, healthcare finance, how to apportion resources. The pandemic was a fantastic opportunity, also occurred last year during the year of the nurse. It, it, it put our profession right front and center, but just like Ernest said, it put our pictures right front and center. Yeah. We still didn't really get the opportunity to speak on, on you know, some of the matters that we, we, you know, I mean, where uh, not just first responders, we drove this shit. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, my, my, my perspective, once again, you know, is, is a little different. Unfortunately, the simple answer to your question is yes. And, and that's just per society. But if, if, if we really drill down, you know, I think there are many opportunities for nurses. We we, we struggle with a lot of uh, 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 different priorities right now, you know, that don't necessarily put nursing on the same page to have one voice. And that, that's part of the issue. I mean, if, if some of these bodies that should have nursing at the table sort of get the sense, it's once again an opportunity to have our physician colleagues represent, you know, the face of healthcare in isolation, you know, so... I think I think we we have an opportunity. Dr. Grant does his part, my little part, you know, and in, in the classroom and in the organizations I represent. I, I I speak about this matter, and you know, I challenge nurses. You know, don't don't just sit. In, I mean, so when you finally get a seat at the table, then 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 what are you going to say? Yeah. How, how do you represent nursing? Like, what's your breadth of knowledge and and, and understanding? You know, uh, so that's. That's my my academic perspective. That's well, a great perspective because I I, I think uh, it's, it's certainly true. It's one thing to have a seat at the table 
and become a yes man or a yes woman, <laughs> you know, right. rubber stamping everything that they say without, you know, because you don't want to be disruptive. You don't want to be seen as, you know, somebody who um, uh, maybe may not be invited back. Well, you know, I would say that, you know, if you've got this one shot, <laughs> I'm not going to miss that shot. I, I, I do need to call into question. And, uh, you know, like if I'm sitting on a hospital board and trying to explain to the chief financial officer that we're running short staff and because nurses in the past have always said, okay, we'll suck it up. We'll do, you know, we'll take care of two more patients or whatever, uh, you know, each so that we don't have to call in somebody else to do overtime or whatever. But yet you look at the bottom line of the, uh, you know, of the profit margin. And you see that, you know, you could have hired, you know, someone, you know, to fill those positions or whatever. Um, you know, you've got to, you know, get them to understand what it is that a nurse does. And just by piling on that extra one or two patients, you know, what that is going to do to them as well. And, and subsequently, how it's going to affect their benefits, because eventually that nurse is going to tire out and uh, it's going to be sick or break, you know, have a uh, back problem or something like that. So now you're not only down, you know, a couple of positions, but you may be down a nurse who's out of work for, you know, six weeks or so because their, uh, you know, their back is, uh, is bothering them. Uh, so, you know, to, to try to, you know, be at the table and get them to understand that is so important. Um, you know, and unfortunately, we don't really think about that that much, you know. And uh, there's an old saying that I like to use that if you're not at the table, then you're on the menu. And that certainly is a, uh, a great example of that because you, you know, they look and they say, well, who's the, the largest workforce that we have? It's nurses. So if we're down a couple of positions, or whatever, it's okay because you got a lot of people who can fill in for that particular person. That's not, you know, that's not the way we want to do that. So until nurses find their voices, and one of the things that I would encourage, um, you know, uh, people such as yourself, Bim, who are in, you know, academic settings, is to tell nurses one that they need to find their voice. And number two, they need to join their professional associations as well, you know, because a lot of them, you know, they really don't see the benefit of belonging to their professional nursing uh, associations. And, um, you know, but this is uh, why there's strength in numbers to be able to uh, do that and to address those issues. And then you're going to have those nurses, too, who don't want to be disrupted. You know, they, you know, they, uh, you know, they can't find their voice or they're afraid to find their voice. And there's, 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 um, uh, there's a role for them to play as well, you know, and trying to get them to, you know, to understand things. But, um, you know, until they finally do, then, you know, we've got to bring them along slowly. But for, uh, you know, other nurses, you know, getting them to, uh, to be able to, to speak up and uh, have their voices heard, it is so extremely important that we, we do that at every opportunity. Well, Masha, it sure sounds like uh, suffrage still... <laughs> <laughs> yes. We still have a lot of work to do. Well, you, yeah, you know I'm all about empowering people and getting people to use their voice. And, you know, I guess the psychological terms is, you know, not being so conflict avoidant and learning again, you know, how to put those defenses down. And just because somebody, we can't get away from people judging us or misunderstanding us, you know, communication is a lot of work. You know, emotional regulations, controlling our own emotions in the midst of that communication. It's a lot of work, you know. So, and this is, you know, I think 
within any caretaking profession. It's, it's an interesting dynamic in that, you know, everybody wants to help and make people feel better and doesn't want to hurt anybody, but yet avoids the very conversations that we need to have so that we can be much more powerfully effective. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm definitely all about advocating that level of communication that really puts uh, things into action that we need to have move into action. We stay stuck because everybody's so afraid of what's that person going to do or what's that person going to say? How's this going to hurt me? Instead of being able to have the confidence to um, to not internalize whatever comes at them and yeah. be able to continue to speak their perspective, be able to consider the other person's perspective, of course, but being able to have an actual dialogue, it's not an argument, it's not a fight, it's a conversation. Goodness, I want us to move into that <laughs> desperately, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's a long time coming, but um, well, I'll ask, do you see that uh, we are advancing uh, in that area, um, Bim and Ernest, do you do you see that we are advancing? Are we really getting somewhere when it comes to um, um, race relations and um, social justice? Are we moving the needle? <laughs> when you want to go first? <laughs> go ahead, Ernest. <laughs> well, I, I would say, yes, we, we are. Uh, it's, it's slow. Um, you know, uh, a lot of your listeners probably are aware that uh, we have, uh, you know, that the American Nurses Association, along with the National Black Nurses Association, the uh, National Association of Hispanic Nurses, and ENSEMA, uh, or National Coalition of Ethnic and Minority Nurses, uh, we have uh, joined together to form a national commission to address racism in nursing. And uh, there are a number of other nursing organizations that are serving on the commission. Actually, we have a total of, I think, about 30, 39 organizations that are, uh, you know, working on this initiative. Um, and, you know, when we first got into the work, um, uh, you know, we were anticipating that perhaps we'd have a finished document by the end of the year. But as we get more and more, we're beginning to realize that, no, we want to do this and do this right. Um, so we're not going to do a rushed thing. So we'll put out some things uh, intermittently. But and and of course, with the future of nursing report uh, that recently came out as well, that also further embrace the work that we are doing. Um, uh, we do realize we have a long way to go, uh, and we know that a lot of uh, organizations and associations, uh, you know, they're doing their own DEI work. But I think when you look at the the level of the commission, it's going to be taken. Uh, like the um, the future of nursing report, it's going to be the prescriptive pathway, if you will, that organizations need to follow. And one of the ways that we're trying to to do this is, um, I think your listeners are probably familiar with ANA's scope and practice standards, you know, because it addresses education, clinical practice, advocacy, and research. So we're taking it from that perspective because we realize that in order to change racism. It's got to start with education. It's just like we've all have heard that, you know, a baby isn't born being, you know, prejudiced or, or being racist. That's something that is taught. 
Well, the same thing with people who are in nursing school. You don't go into nursing school already, you know, thinking that you know everything there is to, to know about nursing. It's taught. So some of the ways that uh, professors are, are, are teaching that or when I've heard stories from people as we've had listening sessions, um, you know, that uh, professors have used like to people of color, you know, like to blatantly come up to someone and uh, to a, 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 a black person and say, well, how do you fix your hair or how do you do this or that or, or whatever? You know, that's that's. Uh, I just shudder just thinking about that. So, you know, we've got to change there with the idea of changing an education that once these principles are put out there, that the NLN, the AACN, you know, all these crediting agencies will go to the schools and say, we've adopted these principles from the commission. Show us how you're implementing that in your educational curriculum. You know, it will drive a change. It will also drive a change on the NCLEX as well, because the NCLEX also sort of, uh, in, in my opinion, um, reflects back what, you know, uh, what people are, are taught in school. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes a lot of that is stereotypes, uh, you know, but it's, and of course, schools are under pressure because they feel I need to teach to the test when the test is not really, you know, reflecting what's actually going on in, uh, in real life. And then, you know, addressing the same thing in clinical practice. Uh, again, uh, you know, as Ben mentioned, say, when a position comes open, sometimes we automatically put up those walls or think about, oh, well, who can we get to fill this position? So we're automatically doing, um, you know, some um, practicing some uh, racist behavior, if you will, you know, by doing that or shutting out someone because they don't have a bachelor's degree. Maybe, uh, you know, why not say, you know, you'd be great at this, you know, if you agree to start working on your bachelor's, we'll give this to you, you know, we'll, you know, or, or do it as a trial basis or, or whatever, or, or start your own little uh, leadership academy within your organization so that you can grow your own who are going to be much more loyal to you than someone coming from the outside or whatever, because usually if someone's been with you for five years, chances are they're going to stick around. And they're, you know, they see themselves as being family. So why not encourage their leadership growth instead of, um, you know, looking past them to get, you know, somebody else? And I'm, I'm not saying, you know, don't always look outside or don't um, look outside your organization. Yes, it could be that there's somebody out there with some resources that you may need. But I think it's also important that you show your employees how valued they are as well by, you know, putting them in leadership academies that would uh, put them into eventual leadership positions as well. And the same thing with, with uh, and of course, there we're hoping that the Joint Commission will adopt these principles. And then they go into, you know, acute care facilities or other facilities that they um a credit. Same thing with Magnet. Uh, and, you know, we're, you know, Magnet is going to be uh, doing that as well. But say we've adopted these principles. Have you, you know, put that into your uh, clinical practice or your, your governance, uh, you know, uh, uh, body there? So change will be coming. Uh, same thing with advocacy, same thing with research. And we'll have leadership and administration, you know, going through as a single thread. Uh, but it is going to take some time because, as I said, we want to get it right. We just don't want to put something out there and, and say, there, we've, you know, we've done our thing. Um, you know, we want this to be an ongoing uh, thing as well that will come back and be revised in another, you know, two years or three years after it's been put out so that it will continue to um, uh, refresh itself, so to speak. Well, I'm glad to know that there is uh, that you know, you you guys are taking the initiative and that 
um, this is forthcoming because it's it's a long time. Mm-hmm. And I just thought about it. Um, Masha, he said that there have only been three African-American presidents in the whole 125 year, is, did you say 125 mm-hmm. year yes. history? So, and I'm kind of, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm really kind of tired of the first black this mm-hmm. and the first black that in 2021. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I don't understand. I mean, I do understand. I don't know why I'm saying that, but <laughs> um, we, we really need to move forward. Uh, I, I think that we are moving the needle a little, but I see so much more that can be done. I think about, and I won't call the name of this particular um, store. Um, It's a, um, I'll just say it's a store that has uh, hobby supplies. How about that? But I go in, I've gone in two of these stores and they have a wall of, pictures at the top at the in their store when you walk in that goes across the whole store mm-hmm. not one african-american is on that it's among the pictures up, up mm-hmm. there uh number two my daughter used to do commercials in um new york when we lived in new york she um uh we went to so many auditions and they would say things like um well, they love her voice and they will let her do radio, but they don't want a little black child. This was in the 80s. Mm-hmm. They, don't want a little, they, the, the, they don't want a black child to do the commercial. You know, it's like now I'm seeing a lot of diversity, but it didn't happen until um, the, I don't know if I should, I, I guess I could call it an infamous murder um, of George Floyd. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's like I see a lot of things happening now that I didn't see before, and that's good. But is that momentum going to continue? Is that something that is just for the moment to please a few people, or is that something that's going to continue? That's all. We have to. Uh, I think we have to ensure that it continues. Uh, you know, we can't um, let the momentum slow. Um, you know, and, and I can sort of agree with what you have, uh, have stated before, you know, because I would tell people that, you know, every day I get uh, probably maybe two or three solicitations for a certain level, you know, MasterCard or, you know, Black American Express card or, you know, whatever else. And of course, we know it's based on, you know, your credit rating and your, your income or whatever. But every time I open up that document, you know, to, you know, to, to look at what they're offering and things of that sort, I don't see me. Or if I do see me, I see myself in a, in a servant role. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not the one who's laying in the lounge chair, you know, being waited on. I'm the one who is bringing, you know, the, uh, the, the meal or the drink to, you know, the, uh, the, the white couple or, you know, or, or whatever. Uh, you know, and I would, would think that if you really wanted my business, because you already know who I am, you already, you know, I mean, looking, uh, the mere fact that you're sending me this offer knows that you, you know, that I have a certain income. You know that I, you know, uh, you know that I'm uh, a male. You should know that I'm a black male. You should know that, uh, you 
know, based on my zip code, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the economics and everything else. I mean, you know more about me and et cetera. So if you truly wanted me to use your card or to, you know, to accept your offer, then I would think that you would, you know, would really want to get to know me and say, hey, this is, uh, okay, let's change this around a little bit. Because I know they do that. You know, they have, you know, different uh, um, ways of, of advertising to, you know, the same card or maybe a lesser version of the card to, uh, you know, to, to different ethnicities. But it, it's just, all it takes is just a little bit more effort to, uh, to say that, you know, hey, if we want to go after, you know, this particular population or, or whatever, then, you know, let's change our, our way a little bit, whether you're, you're being honest or not about it or not. <laughs> the, uh, you know, the, the thing is, um, you know, they, they wind up in the shredder because, uh, again, if I open it up and I don't see me, it's like, me you know, you've already lost me there already. Yeah. I do the same. I do the very same. And that goes for any advertisement. If, mm-hmm. I, if it's on TV and I mm-hmm. don't see any people of color, I tend to not, uh, you know, uh, buy the product. Buy the product, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, just, I just think it's crazy that we are still uh, dealing with this in 2021. I want to so. build off of what you just said there. I don't know that we, I don't know that we have ever dealt with it in a direct manner. We've had emotional reactions and, you know, and then you get those spurts of it, right? You know, now after the George Floyd incident, there's all this diversity, equity, and inclusivity motion. But how, yeah, how deeply authentic is it? And until we can have the conversations um, that people are actually quite cynical about still, you know, let's be really honest. There's still a lot of work to do because there's a lot of cynicism. There's still a lot of, when are we ever going to stop talking about this? Why do we have to keep talking about this? And what are we going to do next? You know, oh my gosh, I can't say anything anymore because if I say anything, then it's, it's biased now or I'm a racist, you know? And so, you know, again, until people can... Um, tap into some confidence inside themselves and put their defenses down and be able to have uh, conversations that are avoided by way too many people, you know, and honestly, you know, uh, if, if people, it's about learning how to communicate, in my opinion, you know, it's, I've often said, I don't know how we're ever going to talk about these issues until we learn how to talk to each other, because I know inside family systems or inside even just the small, the closest relationships that people have with each other, they have difficulty, you know, with conflict resolution or solving differences about what to eat for dinner, you know, that becomes an (laughs) argument, right? You know, so much less talking about race or sexism or, you know, these other uh, levels of needs. So I really, uh, really want to advocate for that we do need to continue to push forward. We do need to continue to set the example of how to have the conversations that people are afraid to have. Uh, and uh, just keep encouraging people to to learn from those conversations, to recognize that 
um, we're unpacking a lot. We're mm-hmm. unpacking so much. I mean, there's so many different directions as I'm listening to each of you speak. There's just so many different layers of directions that we could take and have about five more panels at least of the conversation that we've had today, right? Uh, there's a lot to it. And I, I want to believe again that um, that the nursing profession is an avenue that we can use to set the stage and set the example of, of here's how we do these conversations. And uh, Marsha, you you actually touch on a, a couple of very important points. I mean, Vivian just you know mentioned uh, you know the needle moving, and and I think Ernest has done a fantastic job talking about um, you know all these necessary um, organizations, accreditation bodies, you know coming together because. At the end of the day, I mean, the most important way to combat systemic racism is changing policy. It, it, we can talk for as long as we want. Um, if, if we don't put, you know, put some teeth behind what we talk about, you know, then it's, it's, it's just nice conversations that make us feel better at the moment. But the existing policies, you know, still uh, remain. So. Um, uh, big kudos to AACN for like the diversity leadership, uh, 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 you know, program we just completed. You know, it, it's it's programs like that that provide intentional opportunities for individuals to learn. You know, to you know build build more. You know, skills, your knowledge, your attitudes, have toolboxes of information, you know, to go be change agents and individual organizations. Um, I'll be honest with you, I mean, you know, no one wants what happened with George Floyd, but it took DEI as that initiative that we, you know, have faculty or members of an organization who are sort of self-governing, it, it put those issues at the forefront and it's forcing organizations, whether they like it or not, to invest time, resources, and money um, into DEI initiatives. I, I, I'm a hopeless optimist, I guess, uh, and on this matter, I don't think it's something that can go away. I think the conversation is started. And now that the conversation is started, the most important thing is, as you mentioned earlier, Marsha, is, you know, just for, for individuals to, to let down their garden and start to learn to understand, you know, having these conversations, just, just sort of getting a better understanding. Um, a lot of our experiences are very unique, but at the same time, we're all impacted. I mean, from, I can speak to academia, you know, from admissions to progressions. I mean, we see it. We see these policies that don't favor certain students. And now more than ever, we, we recognize that there's a problem, you know, so uh, knowing how to have these conversations, that doesn't come natural. No one wants to talk about this, yeah. you know, but, but it, 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 it impacts all of us and, and not in a nice way, you know, so um, I think just having the opportunity to learn a little more, you know, some historical perspectives, you know, how some of these policies came to be, you know, and just having some influential organizations. I mean, I think it was the Yale School of Nursing that came out with a position very shortly after the George Floyd incident. 
you know, about how they were going to weave DEI into their entire program. I mean, we we need forerunners, you know, to, to come out and set the stage and people like Ernest, you know, who, who lead these, you know, national and international organizations to create blueprints and pathways for the rest of us to follow. I agree. And also, um, we need to change the textbooks that we are using to teach nursing. So that's a whole different story. <laughs> that's a whole different podcast. And um, because of respect of time, uh, what I'm going to say is that, Masha, I think just like all of the other guests that you've had, we are going to have to invite them back. <laughs> and we will talk specifically about um um, social justice or social injustice really and um, and about racism in uh, not just in nursing but period I think we will have to do that but I want to respect uh, all both of you you know your time and uh, actually all three of you uh, and I just hope that you will come back again Masha <laughs> Absolutely. Thank each of you so much for this conversation. And I have no doubt that it'll be fruitful for listeners to uh, drink this in and put a lot of thought into it. And I certainly hope that you'll come back to Operation Flow and do several parts. You know, we again, you know, we're setting the stage and the example uh, to give people a modeling of, of how to have these conversations. So please do come back in the future. Uh, are there any just one-liners that you want to put out there as we wrap up as far as something that you would like people to take away from today? Well, for me, uh, first of all, thank you for the, the invitation. And yes, I'll be happy to come back on uh, and, and do a part two or three or four <laughs> of, this, of this dialogue. Uh, I, I think probably um, if I just reflect back over everything that I've said, I think the most important takeaway that I would like for your listeners to have is the, uh, the part where I stress that they actively listen to their colleagues. Um, you know, it's so important that we, you know, don't be so quick to draw or to jump to conclusions yes. that you actually listen and then ask for clarification if you're, you know, if you're not certain about things. That will start the, uh, you know, start the, the change momentum right there. And, um, you know, same for me. Thank you very much for this opportunity. I mean, it's, it's, it's been a pleasure for me. And uh, as Ernest said, I'll come back as many times as you need me to. Uh, my one-liner and takeaway, which is something I've preached and advocated for, is having nurses at, at the decision-making table. And, and, and not just having them there, but having them prepared. Yes. You know, and, um, you know, just nothing speaks better about our profession and people who are passionate, you know, and, and people who are also prepared for the moment. So any opportunity you get, you know, I've been teased a lot about my credentials, but, you know, uh, each, each one of those things have served um, a purpose and they, they continue to give you the opportunity that, to, to learn and to invest in, in building your own knowledge. Please take advantage of it. Um, nurses are more than individuals to take care of uh, patients at the bedside you know we're, we're leaders in our own right and we're, we're probably the most versatile you know uh, occupation a uh, professional occupation period so please you know think think diverse and don't only really think it but act upon it all i have to say is uh you know me good trouble um <laughs> 
<laughs> I always have to lead with uh, Congressman Lewis's, um, Congressman John Lewis's good trouble. We, you know, we have to get into good trouble. Amen. But I, I really appreciate both of you um, coming and um, chatting with us. Um, I'm just so, I'm still excited about it. <laughs> and so uh, we will, we will definitely reach out to you for okay. future. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And, Thank you. Uh, I'll also follow up with you, Dr. Grant. I believe we have some unfinished business. Please. Absolutely. We do. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, All right. everyone. Thank Take you. care. Bye-bye.